Well, I just used as a beginning text Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I titled this the gospel because I, 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 that's always a good title. But I, don't, <laughs> I try to think about if I ever want to look something up, you know, how, how do I title it? So I don't, really t- I don't really have great titles. It's more just kind of figure out what, because sometimes I'll start writing something and I may never finish it. I have a good outline, but I don't ever finish it. Uh, or sometimes I may type something up and forget I typed it up and go, what is that? You know, where is it at? So I can kind of look at the title and figure out where it's at. So not the greatest title. It was more just a placeholder. But the gospel and what it means is a great word. The gospel means good news. And I want you to know that God is a bearer of good news. And as his emissaries and his, his ambassadors, which is what we are, his children... We are bearers of good news. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It didn't say over creeps. It says over every creeping thing. And by the way, you have a choice. You can either choose to believe what God says about how we came into being, or you can choose to believe what the world says about how we came into being. I don't know about you, but I prefer to think that I came from a being that was created in the image and the likeness of God and not from a one-celled thing that just came out of murk and muck and slimy pits. I prefer to believe that I was created on purpose for a purpose. He said, well, evolution has proven. Evolution has proven nothing. Evolution is a belief system. There is no proof. There is uh, 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 evidence to back them up in what they say, but we also have evidence to back us up in what we say. But their evidence is part of a belief system. And you can take the same evidence and you can show that, that how God created heavens. It's a matter of perspective. If you look at evidence through a lens, you can look at the same evidence through a lens and conclude that somebody is guilty. Or you can look at the same evidence through a lens that shows that the person is not guilty. You come up to do two different conclusions based on the lens that you wear. And I don't know about you, but my life changed when I met God, so I choose to believe Him. It didn't change when I went to science class. My life didn't change when I went to math class. It was good stuff. But when I met God, my life changed. By the power of an indestructible life, Jesus made his life available to us and to me. And because he took me out of a miry pit, he set me where I am right now. I choose to believe that what he says is true. Sorry, I got to preach a little bit. Let me get back to the text. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. There seems to be an agenda in the earth to reduce the population, and God said, no, I want you to increase the population. Then God, uh, okay, he said, fill the earth and subdue it. It doesn't mean uh, to put it under subjugation, to put it under slavery. What we're really talking about when he says have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth is stewarded in such a way that it thrives. Right? That's what God desired and, and what he destined humanity 
to be. Well, anyway, what an interesting text to begin with if the subject of what we're talking about is the gospel. You may have forgotten what my title was. But in order to find out what the good news is, we've got to know the context surrounding the necessity for it. In order to do that, we must go back to the revelation of God's creation of humanity. And in the passages that we read or read, we're told that we were the crowning creation of God. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. What does that mean? Does it mean that God looks like Doug? Does it mean that God looks like Rebecca? Does it mean that God looks like Woody? Does it mean that physically we look like God? Or does it mean that we were created with the idea that we were to be the visible manifestation of what an invisible God is like? I tend to believe that the latter was the case when God created humanity. We were created in the image and the likeness of God to bring His ways, His purposes into the earth. This was our original purpose and our original call. In short, we were called by God in partnership with God to bring His nature and His ways into the planet we have been given stewardship over. As we know, Adam and Eve, the original prototypes uh, from which humanity came, listened to the lies of a deceiver, of a serpent, is actually what it says. They disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree, and they ate from the tree that God told them not to. And what was the, the uh, well, let me just read these scriptures, and it'll, and it'll show you. Genesis 2, 16 through 17, the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. You know, how, you know what people say? Same thing they do today. If the government hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. If you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. We want to blame everybody else for our own poor decisions. If God hadn't put the garden there, you know, the tree in the garden, we wouldn't have sinned. So whose fault is it? It's your fault. And then when God confronted Adam, he said, no, it ain't your fault, God. It's my wife's fault. Well, actually, he said, it's your fault for giving me her. And what did he It was that stupid serpent. Right? It's the serpent's fault. No, you know whose fault it is when it all comes down to it? It's our fault. Right? So Genesis 3, 4 through 6, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See, it's a lie. And I want you to know the devil is a liar, and he still lies. You just don't see him walking around, you know, uh, uh, in visible form. But that voice you hear that tells you that God's not good and, and your family's no good and things are terrible and all that, that that's the same devil lying to you. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I ain't going to hurt you to drink. I know you're a Christian, but I ain't going to hurt you to drink. Oh, come on. God created everything good. I'm not going to hurt you to take a little snort of Coke. It's not going to hurt you, you know, to go out and, and just have a good time. Or It's not going to hurt you, to, you know, to do all these kind of things. Well, I want you to know that's a lie. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, come on, you're going to have a good time. Looks good, right? It was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. But in the bottom, at the end of all things, you can't escape the consequences of disobeying God's word. In eating from this tree, they violated the word of God, and the result of their transgression was they lost their intimate relationship with God. God didn't, uh, uh, you, you heard about the story between a husband and wife, and, 
uh, they've been driving a car all these years, and 30 years later, you know, they've been married for a long time, and the wife looks over to the husband and says, I remember when we first got married, he said, I said, I used to sit next to you, and you'd put your arm around me, and he's driving the car, and he looks at her, he said, well, I haven't moved. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't God that moved. We did. Right? So they lost their intimate relationship with God. They lost their position and authority. And thus they were no longer able to adequately express God's nature and will through their lives. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. Can I tell you something? If you don't belong to God, you are of your father, the devil. I hate to tell you that. It doesn't mean you're a devil. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. But it's not about whether you're a bad person or you're a good person. It's about who do you belong to and are you righteous or not. Righteousness is not a product of behavior. Righteousness is a product of relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be a gooder person than someone that is a righteous person, but because you're not righteous, even though you behave better than that other person, you're still going to find yourself separated from God for eternity. You can be not as good as a person that's outside of Christ, but you've been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb, and because you've been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb, you will spend eternity with God. The goal is, once we've been made righteous, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We've been called righteous. We want to learn how to live righteous. And it's a process. We don't get there overnight. And we're not all starting at the same place. Some of us have struggles that other people don't have. Some people are good in one area, but they're not so good in another area. And so we want to, we want to mix, mix and match and say, well, you're not as good as this person, but that other person has weaknesses as well. We don't all start in the same place, but we're all striving towards perfection. We're all striving to become more like Jesus, right? And it takes time. We've got to have patience with one another. But we should all be uh, uh, seeking to reveal who God is through our lives, through the way that we talk, through the way that we live, through the way that we, uh, things that we do. Amen? You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Adam and Eve, in obeying the serpent, had relinquished their authority, and in submitting to his voice, they unwittingly became subject to him, and thereby transferred their God-given authority and dominion to him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Adam was given authority and dominion over the planet you become a slave to the one whom you obey a servant to the one whom you obey so when they obeyed the devil even though it was a lie when they obeyed him they gave him their allegiance and their authority are you hearing what i'm saying all right you're going man this is bad well there's got to be bad news before you have good news if you don't think you're sinking, sinking you're not going to accept the life jacket. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need a life jacket. 
I'm just floating out here in the middle of the, of the Bering Sea, you know, enjoying the cold uh, uh, dip in the, in the water, not realizing that you're about to die. When you realize you're about to die and a helicopter comes by, you're like, hey, I need some help. If you think you're just on a cruise, you're not going to ask for help. The Bible says in Luke 4, 5 through 6, to prove my point, the devil, when tempting Jesus, took him, Jesus, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said to Jesus, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now you notice Jesus didn't challenge him on that. Who delivered to the enemy the authority? Adam. Right? So what happened when Adam listened to the serpent and obeyed, he gave the enemy his authority. What I just described to you has been the sad situation of the human race ever since. Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And just in case you need an extra verse, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Right? The good news, the gospel from the word euangelion means good news. The good news is one word, and it's Jesus. He's worthy. From the beginning of time, God had a plan that he was going to bring to fruition through Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21. He indeed, talking about the Lord, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, talking to the church, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope or in God. Did you see where it said, from the foundation of the world, God had a plan. Once again, the good news is God's remedy to our situation is not Buddha, not Confucius, not yoga, not New Age, not Tao, not anything, not, not witchcraft, not any of that. What do they call witchcraft now? They call it uh, Wicca. Not Wicca, right? Not uh, Reiki. Not any of these other things are going to give you what you need. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. From Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Not because it's good thinking, not because it's good morals, no, because it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes. What does salvation mean? It's not talking about just going to heaven, although that's part of it. It's talking about for the wholeness of everyone who believes. 
And here's the thing, belief is important. Because if you believe that when you get saved, you're going to heaven, then you receive what God has made available to you. But if at the same time, you don't believe that Jesus also prayed a price for your physical healing, well, your faith will allow you to receive what was also in the, the cross and the work that he did at the cross, which was healing of spirit, healing of soul, and healing of body. But because you only believe that it'll get you to heaven, you won't believe that it'll heal your body, so you don't receive what's available to all because faith is important. Faith comes by and hearing by the because it is the, the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes. But it's not just believes in Jesus but also being aware of what he did. Oh, he paid a price for my physical healing. I received that as well. I believe that. I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus said. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He, oh, he paid a price for my deliverance. Oh, I believe that. I, I believe that Jesus did that. I'm going to put my faith in that as well. And because you believe, you receive. Jesus didn't do anything different. It's all been paid for. It's all been done at the cross of Calvary. You just, you're becoming aware of what he did, and then you are believing in what he did, and you are in believing, opening a door for the power of God that's resident in the gospel to be manifest in your life. Am I making sense to you? All right. So, but what exactly did Jesus do? What was the ultimate reason for his incarnation, crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and subsequent ascension back to the right hand of the Father? That's the question we have before us today. How we answer that question ultimately determines how we live the Christian life because what you believe determines what you do. Now, I made that pretty easy. What you believe determines what you do. If you don't believe that you can put a card in and put a little number in and get money out of it, you aren't going to do it. I don't understand. How's it going to happen? How am I going to put a little card in and get money out just by putting a number in there? No, no, I don't believe that. That's a world conspiracy. But if you believe it, you don't have to understand it. If you believe it, then you are going to forget the bad English. Uh, you are going to do it. I doed it. And when you do it and put your number in, guess what comes out? Money. You see, what you believe will determine what you do. And that brings us to another text in Matthew, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. The Bible says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John the Baptist allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. In this text, Jesus is coming to John to be baptized by him. Remember, Jesus did not come here as God. He is God, but Philippians tells us that he didn't come in the power of God. He set his Godhood aside. 
But he came as a man, and what we're going to see with Jesus is that he came as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. He was God, but all he did, he did as a man. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is God. That is true. But as a man empowered by the Spirit of God in the way that he lived, he is also our example. Nuestro ejemplo. For those of you that only speak Spanish. You're in trouble for the rest of the message because I'm speaking English. If we want the perfect model for the life God desires for us to live, we must look to Jesus. Scripture says he was baptized, and this is the important phrase, to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply that which is right in the eyes of God. Can that be any simpler? Righteousness, that which is right in the eyes of God. There are some things that are right in our eyes, but are not right in God's eyes. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We're not concerned with what's right in our eyes. There was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that did have good on it, but it wasn't God's good. What we're talking about is what is right in God's eyes. And we're not God. He is God. That's the first hurdle that we've got to cross. We're not God. He is. When I was first learning how to pray, he said, Rick, who knows more, you or me? Some of us, we'd have to think for a couple of eons on that. I didn't have to think very long. I knew who knew more. And so he said, well, who should do most of the talking? I said, well, I guess you. And much of my prayer life has been listening and positioning myself to listen from God. Right? Now, if you grew up in a Pentecostal tradition, most of what you've been taught is to talk without thinking. I'm not against talking. I'm not against speaking in tongues. But if you don't ever stop to listen, you're going to tell God what he needs to do, how he needs to do it, when he needs to do it. And the bottom line is, see, there's a confusion there between who's God and who's not. He already knows what we need even before we ask him. So why do we pray in tongues? Because a lot of times when we pray in tongues, we don't know what we need, but the Holy Spirit prays through us. And he knows exactly what we need. And so when we pray in another language, the Holy Spirit voices what we need. And sometimes he'll make that known to us. Right? Oh, I need money. And the Lord says, no, you don't need money. You need wisdom. No, I need money. I need money. No, you don't need money. You need revelation. No, no, I need, I need money. Well, I can give you money, but tomorrow you're going to need money again. So what you don't really need is money. What you need is wisdom. Or you need revelation. You need something different. But if it's up to us, we're just going to keep asking for money. But if you'll listen to God, he'll show you what you need so that you can come, become victorious in certain areas of your life. Well, anyway, righteousness is simply that which is right in the eyes of God. Jesus thus tells us that he came to bring God's nature and ways into the planet through his life, through the way he lived. In other words, I'm getting baptized because this is what my Father wants for me to do. Am I making sense to you? There's a guy by the name of John G. Light. I like him. Read him. 
And uh, this is what sparked this in me. I want to read a, a, a little bit of a lengthy illustration, but I think you'll like it. He says, when I was a boy, I thought the sole aim and object of the gospel was to keep from going to hell. A good many other folks observed Christianity from that point of view. Still, after a while, evangelists changed the idea somewhat. They began to teach that the object of being a Christian was not to keep people from going to hell, but to get to heaven. Then I began reasoning. Uh-oh, Christians that think, that's never good. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. I just made a comment. He said, I began reasoning. I said, one is just as selfish as the other. The one gets saved to keep from going to hell, and the other one gets saved to get to heaven. Both are wholly selfish, and neither one is the real purpose of Jesus. Jesus gave one final reason for men being Christians, and strangely, very few people have ever discovered, even from the Word of God, what that real purpose is. One day, Jesus came along by the River Jordan when John was baptizing and asked for the privilege of being baptized. John said, I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. Jesus was going to be baptized as his commitment of his body and his soul and his spirit to God forever in order that from thenceforth he might manifest the righteousness of God. To manifest the righteousness of God is the real reason for a man's desire to be a Christian. Not to go to heaven when he dies or to keep out of hell, but to reveal the righteousness of God in this world. In this world. And then heaven and all our rewards will be the natural result of having lived in unity with God and having revealed His righteousness in this world. You see, if, you, if, you're, if your thinking's right, your behaving will be right. If you think it's just about not going to hell and getting to heaven, then you'll say stuff like, what's the least I can do and still get and not go to hell? And what's the least I can do and still get to heaven? Can I smoke and still get to heaven? Can I drink and still get to heaven? If I say a few cush words, can I still get to heaven? If I make a mistake on Saturday, can I still get to heaven? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you think it's all about not going to hell and about only going to heaven. And that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to reveal God through our lives, through the way we live, through the way we work, through the way things that we do, through what we say. It's to reveal Jesus. Now, let's not get confused here with what I'm saying. Do we go to heaven when we embrace Jesus as our Savior and Lord? Of course we do. The Bible teaches as much. John 14, 1 through 4. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. Now some, really the Greek says rooms, but I like mansions better. You can live in a room if you want. I prefer to live in a mansion. And it says there's many mansions, so it doesn't say I just get one. God can do whatever he wants. Anyway, if it were not so, Jesus said, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Well, what is the way? Jesus said, I am the way. Do we get delivered from hell when we believed in the Lord? Of course. Hell and the lake of fire are the outcomes for those who do not confess and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one out of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. There is a hell and there is a heaven. When you embrace Christ, you cease to be on the journey to hell and you have now a ticket to heaven. Right? But the problem is, heaven is not our assignment. Heaven is our destination. What is our assignment? Do you recall how a, a few minutes ago, I took some time to bring to light how and to what purpose we, as God's crowning creation, were created for? You remember? It was just like, 10 minutes ago. We were created in the image and the likeness of God to bring His ways and His purposes into the earth. This was our original purpose as humanity, as human beings, and our original call. In, call, in, in short, we were called by God in partnership with God to bring His nature and His ways into the planet we have been given stewardship over. You remember that? What I want us to see is that Jesus did not just deliver us from hell and prepare us for heaven to simply bide our time and somehow overcome and survive the years in between the two. No, like the Lord, who is again our Savior, our Lord, but He is also our example, like Him, He rescues us from the chains of darkness to bring us back to our original purpose. Our original purpose was not to escape hell or to go to heaven. Our original purpose was that in partnership with God, we were to bring His nature and His ways into the planet that we as His church, we as His people, have once again been restored into right relationship with God. We've been given authority and we've been given power to steward in His name this planet for His purposes. You say, well, that's a lot to, to, to stomach. That's a lot to say. Well, let me say it this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how's that going to happen? The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not a matter of meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, the Spirit of the living God came inside of you, lives and dwells within you. You became a citizen of the kingdom of God, the, the one who teaches us about how to live in that kingdom. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, uses the Word of God so that we can become like God. And because of us, through us, God uses us to be an example to bring us back to our original purpose, to bring God's ways, God's nature, God's call into the planet. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Remember when Jesus died, was buried, rose again, went to the right hand of the Father? Did you know, we all can say, go into all the world, but did you know before that it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Well, wait a minute. Who had the authority that we just read a little while ago that the devil said, if you'll just bow down, I've been given authority to give these to you. Who had the authority then? The devil did. Well, Jesus, who came as a man, took back that authority. Because if he has all authority, then how much authority does the devil have? But he wants to convince you that he has authority. No, what he has is he has a sneaky way of being able to deceive you that he has things he doesn't have. He'll convince you he has authority so that you'll listen to him not realizing that he's convincing you that he has a lollipop that you have the whole time. And he will convince you that either you don't have one, you give it to him so that he can give you what's already yours. Sounds like the government. I'm not making any illusions. Just happened to sound like that when I was saying that. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, this is a, a prayer that Paul prayed. Now listen to this. He said, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What does he pray? He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, the church, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Now see, if you don't believe, it's not available to you. Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. I don't believe that. Well, you're not going to walk in it. See, when a policeman joins the police force, they give him a badge. They say, with this badge, you can stop traffic. I don't believe that. If you don't believe that, you're never going to do it. But if you get that little badge and they say, with this badge, you can stop traffic, and you, and you believe that, you can walk out in the middle of the freeway and stop a freeway. What's the difference? They both have authority. One believes, one does not. That's pretty good preaching, Pastor. I think that's, that's good stuff. I think you should, you should tell us a little bit more. Well, I thank you. I think I will. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, we weren't raised from the dead. We weren't seated at the right hand of God. We didn't defeat the powers and principalities. He did. Seated at the right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one which is to come. Now, here's the thing you've got to realize. We are in Christ. It is no longer I that live, but 
Christ in me. I died. And I was raised into a newness of life. I was raised in Christ. He's the head. We are his body. We are joined together. We are one. Right? Why is that important? Because he, uh, he was seated at the right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. I think Jerry sometimes, he's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's, I look under there, I don't see him. I'm real honest with you, I don't like looking under his feet. Oh, it's not physical. It's metaphorical. Yes. The devil is under his feet, but guess who we are? His body. So if the devil is under his feet, but we're his body, that means he's under our feet. Well, that's not what he tells me. When he comes and he tempts me and he, he just makes me feel like I ain't got any power. Duh. He cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a deceiver. He's a liar from the very beginning. He doesn't want you to know the truth because if you know the truth, then you'll recognize that he doesn't have authority over you. You have authority over him. Unless, unless, You've opened the door through partnership with some kind of rebellious living or vice that you're not willing to give up. But if you live in conformity to your confession of faith in Christ, if you confess Jesus as Lord and live as Jesus as Lord, then in Christ he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here Paul wants the church to recognize all that God has done and made available to them. He had put all things underneath Jesus' feet, the church being his body. Jesus restored unto his church all that had been taken from them. You don't like, well, the church wasn't back then. Jesus restored all to his people that had been taken from them. To what purpose? To bring his nature and his ways into the planet. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I didn't preach that long. Jerry, you sang too long, Jerry. What is the gospel? The gospel means good news. What is the good news? As we said before, it is, of course, summed up in one word, Jesus. What exactly did Jesus come to do? Did he come to rescue people from hell? Yes, he did. Did he come to lead us to heaven when we die? Yes, he did. But that's not all. He came to restore our original purpose as his crowning creation created in his image and in his likeness. And you might say to yourself, wait a minute, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life is like. God could never restore me. You don't understand how bad it is. Well, first of all, there's a couple of scriptures that says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to 
Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by the way, you don't catch God by surprise. He's what you call omniscient. That means he knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything that you're doing, everything that you've done. Do you think it caught God by surprise when he came in the garden? He said, huh, where's Adam? Adam, where are you? No. He knew where Adam was and he knew what Adam had done. And he didn't come to punish Adam. He came to, for Adam to somehow recognize what he did and allow God to work in humanity again. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you don't understand. Well, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this illustration I always like. Some of the most priceless rugs. Now, when we think of rug, we think like this. We think what we have in our home, and we say, that ain't priceless, that's dirty. No. We're talking about rugs that were done by hand, like these Persian rugs that can cost $20,000, $40,000, And we, oh, they're beautiful. Well, what you don't realize is oftentimes when they're doing these rugs by hand, they have mistakes in them. Strings break, or they went one over too far, and you know, and, and we don't, we think if it was us, we would think, no, you got to toss it out. But what we don't realize is the, the master is so good at what he does that he's able to weave in the mistakes, and because of the mistakes, because of his work in weaving it in, when it's done, that rug is actually of more value than it was before it was ever a mistake put in there. It's not about, hey, man, you know, God, uh, we can do this. And No, it's because God is so good no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of life you live, no matter what you're doing now. God is so good that he can restore you in your life no matter what situation you're in. How? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God made available to those who believe. So the question is not always how. The question is to believe in a God that knows how. I told you one time I went to, uh, I used to watch Marvel movies. Uh, not so much anymore. They, they kind of got stupid. <laughs> huh? Stupid. Err. Yeah, okay. Well, when you preach, you put the er in there. So, I was watching this movie about uh, a guy that was having a back problem, and they took him to this place, and they had this technology where they could, uh, without invading the body, without doing, they, they were able to look inside the body, and not only can they look inside, but they could actually explode, not metaphorically, the picture, and see the insides, and they could see exactly what was wrong. And I thought, wow, because, you know, I struggle with my back. And I thought to myself, wow, wouldn't that be great when that technology becomes available? It really becomes available to us. Wouldn't that be great? And I heard the presence of the Lord. I heard his voice so clearly. He said, I'm better. How? It's not up for me to ask how. It's up for me to believe that he's better. He can do anything that a woman uh, I think it was a week and a half. Uh, James, I think it was your, your sister, correct? She uh, was having problems in her 
with her uh, uh, spinal. She was having problems with pain, all that kind of stuff. She was going to have to have surgery. Uh, she came up for prayer. Next Wednesday, she came back. She said, I haven't had any pain. You might say, how does that happen? It's not up for me to figure out how it's going to happen. It's up for me to believe. I believe that what God says, he's, he's able and capable of doing. He doesn't have to tell me how. I just have to believe. I don't know how I got saved. I just believed, and I got saved. Well, what happened? I was lost, and now I was found. Explain it to me. I can only explain this, that who I was is no longer who I am. Well, how did God do that? I believe. To say it another way, heaven is our destination, not our assignment. Our assignment has always been earth, this planet. Until such time as we transition out of this planet, the church's divine purpose is also to fulfill all righteousness. It is to, in partnership with God, bring His nature and His ways into this planet that all who are in Christ have once again been given authority and power to steward in His name. We don't use force. We don't use shame. We don't use any of the devil's tactics because Jesus loves the world and we give people free will, but we show them through our lives, through our love, through our works, through our words, through the way that we live, we show them who God really is and what he is like. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, Matthew 5, 16, that they may see your good works and glorify you, glorify your Father who is in heaven. We already said this one, Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Let's make it personal. In my life, in my family, in my job, in my school, in my uh, activities, on earth, let your will be done as it is in heaven. In my finances, John 14 and 12. Most assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, he's talking to the people, his disciples, and he's talking to us. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. No. He's causing the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear, the dead to be raised. He's cleansing the lepers. And, and he's telling me, that I can't do that. Well, here's why I told you at the beginning. Jesus didn't do that because he was God. He did it because he was full of the Spirit of God. He did it as a man. Now, we're not saying he wasn't God. He just chose not to do it as God. He chose to do it as a man, empowered by the Spirit of God, so that we would see the life that he wants us to live. Because we too are saved and born again and restored into relationship with God. We too are commanded to be baptized by the Spirit of God, right? You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem today, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said. And we can also say the Spirit of the Lord is upon us too. To do what? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. He that believes in me, the works that I do, he, she will do also. And greater works than these shall they do, because I go to my Father. Jesus went up so that the Holy Spirit could come down. And now the Holy Spirit was available to all 
we would believe. Amen? So what is the gospel? What is the good news? Restoration, right, to our original purpose. Are we, are we, are we not going to go to hell? No. You believe in the Lord and do what he asks you to do. He who hears my word and does it. See, a lot of people, they come up and confess the Lord, and they never do his will, and they expect to go to heaven. Because that's their purpose, to get to heaven. But it's not Jesus' purpose. Jesus said, as, and when he was praying in John 17, as you have sent me into the world, I so send them into the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the good news. The good news is that if there's evil rampant, if the enemy is having his way, a God is going to do something. How does God choose to do it? He raises up a Gideon. He raises up a Joshua. He raises up a David. He raises up a Daniel. And he raises up you. Little old me. Well, little old me has a spirit of living God inside of us. Little old me has a spirit of God come upon us. Little old me has been given authority and power to trample upon the works of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm us. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives even unto death. One of the enemy's greatest tactic is fear. His greatest weapon is fear. Well, I'm a fear is what God's people say. And if they don't say it, you can tell by the way they live. I'm a feared. We need to be people of faith. And we need to believe God. But this could happen to me. Well, guess what? That's where the idea of heaven comes in. If something does happen to you, it's okay. You're not, it's not going to be the end. It's going to be the beginning of a greater life with Jesus. Mm -hmm.